0: But you know, the vision's that big picture, that thing that's not currently a reality, that thing that we're kind of dreaming about and hoping the Lord will bring to pass in due time. Um, our mission is the thing that we do every day. It's a thing that we do every day to head towards the vision. And then the last week, we've got into values. And our values are the cultural essentials, the culture of New City Fellowship. So if people say, What's New City Fellowship about? These are the things that we want to be about. And so, as this comes around, I'm going to give you the first three answers. Um, Our values are empowered by the gospel narrative, sent on gospel mission, and then uh, rooted in the gospel word. Rooted in the gospel word. Empowered, sent, and rooted. And, um, you know, as a church plant by nature, we're sent. To reach people that we have not that have not been reached, and uh, we want to be a church plant that is doing that. But we also want to celebrate other church plants. Um, My friend Winston and Brenda Lee Miller are here. Could you stand? Let's let's welcome them. Winston and Brenda Lee are church planters as well, and you're church planting a little bit west towards the Parkland area, towards the Lauderhill area, and they have just moved down they've just moved back to South Florida to plant so let's welcome them again thank you guys for being here and pray for them pray for them as they start this journey Winston's actually gonna come back and preach for us in a couple weeks so we're thankful for that but today uh, Pastor Gordon Willard is going to (laughs) preach for us and I'm gonna just pray for you from here and then we'll turn it over to you Lord thank you for um, faithful men like Pastor Gordon who have been teaching your word uh, faithfully for their, for their lives, Father. We thank you for him, but we ask also uh, just for blessing on, on his words today, that again, that you would empower him with your spirit, that you would take what he says and use it to change us as it lines up with your word, and that we would be transformed. Lord, make us a church that really is rooted in your word, that is shaped by what the Holy Spirit spoke to men and inspired them to write down. We pray for your blessing on this time, and all God's people said.
1: Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. As a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away, since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, It produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen.
2: Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? So he said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest, it is in parables, so that looking, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard them. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. And for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit.
3: No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed but puts it instead on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care how you listen, for whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you but he replied to them my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of god wow anybody that says jesus was just such a mild-mannered guy never read that chapter whoa i mean jesus is definitely someone to reckon with um You know, every person in the whole world is going to be a part of several groups throughout their life. You know, there's obviously the family group. We don't get to choose that group. But we're born into it or adopted into it, and that's just the way it is. But you learn to live with that group. You have your national group. And again, uh, your, most people, uh, they don't uh, choose where they want to, to be a citizen. They just are a part of a, of a country and they have to deal with it. They find ways of of living within that national group. There are educational groups, again these little children we prayed for, you know they're placed in schools but even within those schools they, they form their own little groups. Uh, there are interest groups uh, that get started even when we're little kids but right up through our whole life we have hobbies, we have interests and that makes us join that a certain group. And then crucially Uh, we all are a part of some kind of belief group. Even if you're an atheist, you're a part of a belief group. So every group has some purpose for existence. And that purpose is expressed through cherished goals and values and activities. And these three, these uh, having goals having values, and then having activities. They reinforce each other continually. And when you put all of that together, that reinforcement, that's called culture. Families have cultures. Interest groups have cultures. Nations have uh, cultures to them. And churches as well have cultures to them. Now, the body of Christ, uh, as it's lived out through local church communities is the most important group that anyone can ever be a part of. More important than any other group because families live and then they die off. Um, Schools become famous maybe, but faculty changes, interests change, and schools fade away. Interests come and go, nations rise up, and then they disappear. And yet um, the church has plodded on for 2,000 years and has seen the rise and fall of families and nations and interest groups and educational institutions. The church has always Under God's care, the church has always somehow managed to keep existing. Now, every single local church community takes up the task of being God's people for their generation. And to live out our calling as a local church community, as part of the body of Christ, We need to have worthy goals and clear values and healthy activities. And New City Fellowship needs to have those three. We need to be very clear what we're aiming at and why are we even aiming at that? And then what are we going to do to help us along to reach our goal as a local body of Christ? So as a church, and every church really should uh, ask itself, where do we find the pulse of our church to make sure that there's divine life in us? And if I can change the the metaphor a little bit, what is going to be the doctrinal or the teaching sun in our solar system of our church life? What is it that's going to keep the church in the orbit of truth so that we don't go flying off into the meaningless deep space of busyness and doing stuff for doing stuff's sake. We need to have some center to our solar system. Well, nobody in this room is going to be surprised when I say that it is the Word of God that's been given to us in the Bible that is the gravitational center of the body of Christ. That's why our, our value is that we are rooted in the gospel word. Oh, by the way, if I forget... I, I'm so poor at some educational technology things. Uh, if, you don't, if I forget to tell you where to fill in, we're gonna have a review at the end, okay? <laughs> so I'll go back over this and I even will show you, in case I forget the answers, I typed my answers in uh, as a a little uh, key so that I can get the right answer myself afterwards. But if you happen to to see something, hear something, and say, oh wait a minute, I see the a blank there, I think I can put that in. Please, by all means, fill fill in the blanks as you can. The Gospel, the word of God, is going to be the lifeblood of the kingdom of God. And New City Fellowship is going to thrive or it's going to dry up based on our commitment to listen to the word and to yearn for the Holy Spirit to flesh it out among us. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament will give us worthy goals and clear values and guidelines for healthy activities. Now you could go anywhere throughout scripture to find inspiration for backing up this value rooted in the gospel word. But I I chose this uh, Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 21 as our passage to relate to our value. You know, And at first glance, it can look like this lengthy reading doesn't hold together very well. It, it goes from talking about some women helping Jesus as he was moving around and teaching, and then it goes into a, a little story about a farmer. And then it moves from that farmer to the, the disciples asking questions of Jesus. And then it shifts to lighting lamps and uh, putting them up on on lampstands. And then it talks about family members that want to talk to Jesus, but they can't because of the big crowds. Um, And you wonder, can't Luke be a more organized writer? I mean, come on. What a range of subjects in, in 21 verses. You may not know it, but that Luke was a doctor. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that doctors are clear thinkers. I think they are, really. They need to be very clear thinkers. And, they, and Luke was a doctor and was a clear thinker, and he was a clear writer. He knows what he's doing. And so there is, in those verses, a deep unity of thought going on. You see, the disciples are with Jesus at the very beginning to learn uh, about the kingdom of God, and it's done through preaching and telling the story, Luke says. So it, it jumps right in to talk about words, words spoken by Jesus, words and stories heard by learners, because that's what the word disciple literally means in Greek. It's a learner. It's the word where we get our word mathematics from. Um, And so you have to be a learner. It doesn't doesn't come naturally, this spiritual life. So these disciples are hearing these stories and the crowds are starting to hear them and and, um, they're about the kingdom of God. The disciples are learning what it's like to live under God's control, to really give your life a hundred percent over to the kingship of Jesus Christ. And Luke then very wonderfully brings in personal stories about how that kingdom is moving out with power. But he doesn't say, oh look at how it's moving out in power among the men in society. But Luke, well, or Jesus now really is doing the work, but he radically starts talking about what the kingdom is doing among the women. You see, the men of those society then wouldn't give you two plugged shekels for a woman, for a woman's opinion, a woman's contribution to a theological discussion, a woman's contribution to the growth of the kingdom of God. But Luke stops and tells us, you want to see kingdom power? Let's look at what the kingdom is doing among the women. And so we read of Mary Magdalene, who seven demons come out of her. So you see power in the spiritual world. And then you have uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Herod was the king. Where do kings live and work? In palaces. So this woman's husband is working in the palace. He's got the ear of the king. But we don't actually hear about him, but we learn that it's his wife who's really responding to the kingdom. But don't you know they're talking at home about how this kingdom word of Jesus is greater than the kingdom power of Herod? And then these women who are now coming into the kingdom because they're trusting the word of the kingdom, they're trusting Jesus Christ, the Lord of the word, they start supporting him from their own possessions. Nobody had to tell them, you know you've got to tithe. You know if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you better start giving your money. Jesus never told them that they had to do that but out of hearts set on fire by the kingdom of God. Okay, my husband may not give me some shekels, but I'm going to bake some bread. I'm going to sow something. I'm going to uh, maybe take in children and tutor them. Uh, I'm going to uh, do what it takes to earn some money or to grow something, some, get some food, and then I'm going to give it to the Jesus for his work, for his kingdom. To me, that's really exciting. What we're seeing here then is the power of the word revealing the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is a kingdom of wholeness. It's a kingdom of peace. And it's now starting to be created by Jesus right there uh, in uh, Jerusalem and in all the places that Jesus traveled around. So so it starts off, Luke starts off with talking about the word and the power of the word of the kingdom. But then later in our passage, it was read that Jesus repeats the theme of listening. He says, um, take care, in verse 18, take care how you listen. Luke concludes, having said, be careful don't just take for granted this word, be careful how you're listening to it. He concludes his uh, passage by talking about the blood family of Jesus, trying to squeeze in, because I think they probably felt they had some more privilege than those that were just listening that were not blood relatives. So they want to get in there, and they can't because of the crowd, so they send a messenger in. We want to see you. There's implied here, uh, our word has authority, ought to have authority in your life, Jesus, because this is family. This is blood. And there ain't nothing thicker than blood. Oh, yes, there is something thicker than blood. That is this gospel that we're rooted in. The word of the kingdom the word that is creating, dare I call it, a blended family that supersedes the blood family. That's what's driving Jesus' mission, and that's what creates a brand new family. And you want to see what that family's like? Look at the changed lives of the disciples. Look at the changed lives of women like Joanna, Susanna, and Mary. That word of Christ is powerful. Now right in the middle of those stories about the the disciples listening to Jesus, the women being converted and changed and getting on fire for the Lord, and then uh, Jesus talking about be careful how you listen um, and don't try to hide anything. You've got to open your life up to the word. And then uh, that My brother and my sisters are those who hear and do the word of God. So all this emphasis on the word, right in the middle of those three stories, Jesus tells um, a story, one of his absolute favorite parables. It's the center of the chapter, and it's what holds the other three stories together. Because what Jesus is talking about is what is your response going to be to the word? So Luke says, a big crowd was starting to crush in on Jesus. And I can just see the, the wheels turning in the Lord's head. Ooh, this is going to be so cool, what I'm going to do now. Because as people start to crowd in, they're eager, they're ready to Listen. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to use this as a golden moment to teach my disciples, but I'm also going to teach the crowd. Yeah, I'm not leaving them out, but this is really going to be for my disciples to learn something huge for their lives. And Jesus does something pretty fascinating in telling this parable because by telling the parable about the seed and the soils... Jesus is enacting, he's bringing into reality the very situation that he's describing in the parable. He's doing the parable. It's a parable, yeah, about responses, but they're going to be responses. And let me explain why I think that's just such a powerful thing for the Lord to do. There are very few ways in in society where by the word that you speak you actually create a brand new reality. You bring something into existence that didn't exist before. God can do that when he says let there be light and there is light. We rarely ever bring new things into being by our words. I as a pastor and John and other pastors have that privilege when we do a marriage. You know, up until the moment when the preacher, until the minister says, I, in the name of the state and of the church of Jesus Christ, I declare you man and wife. Until that happens, they're not married quite yet. They need that declaration, and that declaration brings into existence a new relationship that's honored by the state, it's honored by family, it's honored by the church, um, Less positively, when the police officer says, you are under arrest, he has created a brand new reality for you. I hope nobody ever had to hit, face that reality. But where the policeman says, you are under arrest. Before he said it, you, you're walking along, you're free, you're thinking, hey, I, you know, I'm getting away with this. Then suddenly he says, no, I'm bringing in a new reality. You are in a new relationship with the, with the state and with the law. Governors get to do this and presidents uh, when they get to declare clemency. I declare that you are forgiven and pardoned. And they've created a new reality. You see what I mean now by the speaking? You're bringing something in to being. Jesus says, I'm going to speak, but even as I speak, the very thing I'm talking about is coming into existence. The very thing I'm talking about, which is how you respond to the word and how, what, what's going on in the invisible spiritual world, that's happening right now as I say it. It points out to me that every time that the word of God's kingship goes out, there's always a reaction. The word is never neutral. Things are always happening in the invisible spiritual world when the word is read or preached or talked about or studied. My preaching this sermon about this parable is a faint but nonetheless genuine recreating of the parable because even as I'm talking to you, responses are going on. You're gonna to respond to the Word of God right now. You already are responding. We can't help ourselves, we're made that way. Well, what are the, what's the range of reactions that people have to God's rule? And they hear about it through the Word. Well, three of the four reactions are ultimately, turn out to be hostile. One is immediate rejection. Another response is a delayed rejection when troubles come because of that word. And then there's the long, slow burn, the long, slow rejection that comes when more powerful addictions in the heart kill off the influence of the word. So the first uh, group of people, I mean, it, the seed there barely touches the ground. In other words, before Jesus says you're, you're barely hearing anything of the truth of God's kingdom and of, of the lordship of Jesus Christ, and boy, the evil one snatches that away. Something will happen. He, he has many, many ways to distract you. You just, you're in your car and you turn on the radio and you accidentally push the wrong preset button and you got K-Love on your radio. And in that split second, you, you heard the word Jesus and bam, as fast as you can, you're, you push that, that button and get it to another preset. Because the very word you don't want to hear whether it's accidental or on purpose, is Jesus or Bible or God or sin or forgiveness. You don't want to hear any of that. And so, wham, people are always accidentally bumping into the Word. And they're just as quickly closing it off. I do wonder at times, why is it that people are so afraid of considering the Bible? Why are they so afraid of listening to it? And For some, I think they really feel that um, the Bible, which for many believers they call a, a jewel box, you know you're going to open up and it's going to be filled with the precious jewels of the Lord, the pearls of great price, and, and the diamonds and so For many people the Bible is a Pandora's box. You're going to open it up and you don't know what strange evil practices barbaric thoughts are going to come out of that Bible. And so the safest thing is keep it closed and you'll avoid fanaticism because people that read the Bible do tend to become fanatical and they do tend to become a little bit dangerous and opinionated and judgmental and on and on. So, Or else it's so confusing, leave it to the professionals. If professional academics want to read it, let them. That's fine. They can understand it. But uh, it's not for the average normal person. The bottom line is that there's no good influence of the word in their lives, very sadly. But how about that second group? They, they had such a promising beginning. There was a sprouting. Uh, Jesus even says that um, there was joy. They, they received it with joy. Something about the bible message was exciting to them it talked to them about forgiveness and said hey you know i could really use a new start in life it talked about um, friendship and, and uh, your burdens just being taken care of and you know that sounded really i love all of that and so there's a a, a starting to a curiosity but then shortly after you you discover you would say, well, wait a minute, the fine print. The fine print says your family may not love it at all that you are reading the Bible and wanting to go to church. Uh, They may be completely turned off. You may lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, Your children may get turned and and really reject what's happening in you. And so, uh, troubles, Jesus says, troubles start coming because of what the Bible, what the Word of God does in society. And folk just never counted on that. And so their own personal peace is more important to them than the peace of the kingdom of God. And so they too fade away. They don't put any roots down into the Word. That third group, though, is, I think, for believers, that third response can be the most dangerous and, and insidious for us. We, we have, uh, as you, many of you know, we have a little two-year-old uh, granddaughter. You see her running around often. And um, I've always st- I've started to pay a lot more attention to the games that I put out for her to play or the games that you buy. And what, are the, what do the boxes always say on the side when you're going to buy a, a game or a toy for a little one? It's like, beware of of what? Small parts, parts. why? Because because they are, and and even this morning when I was drinking my water, you know, I realized there are choking hazards everywhere. You can't get away from choking hazards. And even my bottle says here, warning, cap may pose choking hazard. Yikes, every time I'm taking the cap off and I'm trying to hold it as tight as I can because I don't want to choke on it, you know but I certainly don't want to throw it on the ground and have my granddaughter pick it up. And so, so yeah, we do pay attention to choking hazards. My friends, Jesus is telling us that life itself for the believer is a choking hazard. You are never very far from a choking hazard where it's going to choke out the life of the Word in you. it's a long, slow process. The others happen pretty quickly. But if if somebody came in here and grabbed me around the throat and said, you stop believing, I'd push him away and maybe I'd try to be a Christian hero and say, no, you shall not choke me and choke the life out of my Christian faith. I will follow Jesus. But that's not how it comes. That's not what this is a long, slow choking. This doesn't come up and grab you by the throat. You see, the, Jesus says the word has to take root, but it's in a world that's deeply hostile because there's a kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light. And when you start really getting serious about the kingdom of light, that kingdom of darkness starts to get very, very conflicted, very hostile. So remember, life is never neutral for us. He is saying we are constantly surrounded by choking hazards. Now, Jesus puts his finger on calling them what they really, really are. Worries, riches, and pleasures. The devil has a wonderful thesaurus. He has a wonderful dictionary of synonyms that soften it all up for us. Uh, I'm I'm not filled with worries, aiming for riches and living for pleasures. I have concerns. I'm concerned about financial security. I'm just concerned about my share of happiness. Now, happiness... Financial security and concerns, boy, they sound very innocent, don't they? But every single one of them, if we really name them what they are, from Jesus' point of view, every one of them has a potential to grow up and, and like a, you know, one of these vines that surround and grows up around a tree and saps the life out of the plant. Every one of those things um, can do that. Yeah, you, I could call it a concern, but when it starts to fill my mind and I wake up in the morning and all through the day all I can think about uh, is worried about what my kids are doing, worried about what the boss thinks of me, worried about my finances, and so that drives me to overwork and then not to share like those ladies sharing out of their possessions. I can't afford to share. I can't afford to give. I need this for myself. And my happiness. Hey, what what else does it mean to be an American citizen than to pursue happiness? Well, it certainly doesn't seem like the word is very powerful if three of the four reactions are ultimately unfruitful. But please, don't be faked out by uh, appearances. Jesus says that word, when it gets into a person's life and into a church, can produce 100 times worth of fruit. So paying attention to the word of God, Jesus says, is going to open up for us the secrets of the kingdom of God to the church family. And it's through your own personal commitment to the word and our community commitment to the word that it's going to keep our values, our goals, and our activities on point. Now you may be doubtful and and worried about the the veracity of the Bible. But my question to you would be this. Picking up on Jesus' image, would God plant bad seed? He says the seed is the word of God. Do we really believe God's going to go out and purposely plant bad seed? In other words, Is he going to purposely give us a Bible that's unreliable, that's not trustworthy? I mean, that seems to go against the very character being of God himself. Does the Bible give us accurate good news or is it fake good news? Well, I think millions and perhaps billions over history would say it is absolutely reliable, trustworthy good news. And so you need to read it and find out for yourself. Look at what it did in those women's lives. Look at what it does for the disciples. Look at how it changed Jesus' family. It says at one point Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. But then later on we read that all those brothers, same brothers, were very active leaders in the church. Talk to others in the church and ask them how the Bible has changed their lives. Jesus says, "Put your lamp on the stand so that it can shine." Well, if a if someone else comes to you and says, "How is the word shining in your life?" Then they ought to be very willing to put their light their light their life up on a lampstand for you. They should not say, "Oh, no, no, no! Please don't talk to me about that. We've got a professional. We hired him. His name is John. Go talk to him." No, every one of us ought to be willing to put light up on the stand. So as I draw my message to a close, I want to stress how crucial the Bible will be to this fellowship. If you haven't guessed that already, um, you know, then we're doing something really wrong here. Um, If the Bible, and it's good news, is at the heart of what happens here at New City, then it must be at the heart of every one of you individually. How are you going to know if you're being choked out or not? What is it going to take? It's going to take a plant putting deep roots down into the soil so it can't be choked out. Why? What do those roots give? Food and stability. Right. Strength and and nurture. Nourishment. And so too, that's why Jesus says, put your thoughts deep down into my thoughts and then when worries riches hostile attitudes pleasures when those things are tempting you when you've got deep roots and you got your roots in the mind of God he is he has answers for every one of those temptations he really knows how to help you deal with those but we don't deal with them on our own I can't learn by myself. I can't know what might be choking me or not. I need you. You need me, where we help one another learn what might be choking us. You see, listening in a community opens my deceitful heart to truths that I don't want to hear. Other believers will help me to listen honestly to the voice of my Lord. So I want to read a uh, to conclude with some words from Jude, um, Jude was a half brother of Jesus by blood, but he came a full blood, a full brother of Jesus by faith. And he says, "But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by our apostles of our of the Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions." and are worldly, not having the Spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Reading and talking about the word of God privately and in community. That's how you build yourself up in the love and in the faith. And then you pray the words of the Spirit back to God through the Spirit. If you want energy for your prayer life, get into scripture. And then just pray back God his own words. He loves that echo through your voice back to what he has already said. And then we're going to need to be merciful to those who are weakening in their reliance on the word. We may discover brothers or sisters who, might, who are suffering from a choking hazard. Uh, Boy, but the worst thing you can do there is go in with a judgmental attitude and then push your weight around. No, it's with mercy that we work with those that are weak and wavering. But we point them back to the scripture. So, with some people, you're going to need uh, to be a little bit tougher because they're closer to the fire. And they, they are ready to get singed. And you don't, you, know, you just don't be Mr. Polite then you, you may need to say some strong things in the Lord, but because you love them and you want to bring them back, you don't want them to be choked. And here, my friends, is one of the heart values of New City Fellowship. We are not going to sit by and watch you get choked. We're going to try, with the grace of God, to intervene. Not because we're better. No, it's because we love one another and we will not let you be choked. So as a conclusion, I'd like for us all to say this together. This is um, words of benediction. It's not of God blessing us, but you, it's us blessing God. And I think this is a great way for us as a congregation to read this together while, while we bless our Lord. So read with me. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore.